Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hello, podcast listeners. Al Martin here. I hope everybody is doing well. Uh, you've made your way to Making Data Simple, which I greatly appreciate. Hopefully, we're going to learn something together today. Today, I have a gentleman by the name of Cordell France. So Cordell, that's a great name, by the way. Uh, you're the next Elon Musk, I think, if it's in terms of naming. He is the CEO of Seeker Technologies. So he's founder. Uh, this is a tech startup that builds AI products for a variety of industries. Uh, but think artificial intelligence. Think, you know, I think one of your most critical or where you're, you're going all in is helping medical professionals save lives. We can talk about that. I don't know if that's where it starts and that, that that's where it ends. I know you have three different medical AI products through four product-reviewed clinical trials. That's hard to say fast. So I know you're going in all in on AI. You're going all in on, on medical. There are probably many other areas that you're expanding into as well. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. And now, thank you again for having me. So, yeah, I am uh, CEO of Secret Technologies, and I am an engineer by training and by schooling. Prior to starting Seeker with my co-founder, I was employed at a couple uh, defense companies working primarily on autonomous systems. And while I was at those companies, I uh, was in positions of a few different engineering disciplines, primarily uh, mechanical engineering, systems engineering, and software engineering. So I was able to get some really unique angles at the product development life cycle, uh, just based on different engineering disciplines. Mechanical engineers don't usually like to write code, but I, I typically enjoyed it. So I was, I was kind of anomaly in that regard. But uh, fast forward to uh, about two, three years ago, my co-founder and I decided to fully engage our free time into developing Seeker and addressing you know, the problems we saw in the world uh, with our AI platform. And then fast forward another year later till about two years ago, we decided to, you know, uh, officially start the business and leave our day jobs and really make this a, a reality and haven't looked back. We've been profitable since then and uh, really been able to put some really great capability into the platform. Are you venture capitalist funded? Or are you are you funding yourselves or how is this working out right now? How's the, how's the business going? So we are self-funded up to this point and uh, we've been... Uh, just generating revenue in order to maintain, just keep going. And uh, so we haven't really needed funding up to this point, but we are getting ready to raise around uh, this summer, actually, of, of venture capital. So uh, it'll be our Series A, and we're going through all the details on that right now. How many clients do you have uh, right now? We have about eight paying clients. Eight paying clients. That's fair. I mean, you're just, yeah. right? That's great. You need to look me up. You start going to Series A. <laughs> like you guys have got it on. Any referenceable clients you could talk to right now? Um, yeah, we've worked with uh, a company called Vista Outdoors, uh, which uh, they actually employ uh, their umbrella company for quite a few companies. Um, Bushnell is one of them, Camp Chef, uh, Camelback. So a lot of outdoor companies. Um, we've built some um, image recognition products for them, uh, particularly looking at, you know, whether or not animals have been in a certain area of the woods so for animal conservation, which doesn't sound like a tough problem. But when you look at camera footage that is, you know, smudged with rain and dirt and dust, and 
you're looking for animals that are designed to be camouflaged to begin with, it becomes a very tough problem. So uh, we've worked with companies like that. Uh, we've worked with medical facilities. Dallas Neuropsychology is one of them. And then uh, a couple other medical companies as well to influence the design and um, advise on the development of the products that I've previously spoken about probably the major ones we've had. How many of the 12 of the solutions involve imaging, AI imaging? Probably 70% of them. I'd say eight, eight or nine of them. There's only a couple that don't involve imaging, and those are kind of some R&D and products that are specifically for agriculture. You need to get uh, in the insurance business where you're, you're looking at claims like uh, getting drones to take pictures of houses before and after. So... Uh... I agree. Yes, yes, that would be uh, well. Maybe <laughs> copyright uh, Al Martin. We'll <laughs> maybe we'll look into that. <laughs> well, I mean, look that that way you can uh, you know when when these people you know say, hey, my house got hit by hell damage, and and then they go, okay, the storm was yesterday. All right, let's go twenty four hours, and they say, hey, nothing's wrong. They say the last hell storm was six months ago, and, and they look go look at your house directly before the six month mark and they say hey it's fine and like two days ago some you know you know you went up on the house and, and started hitting it with a hammer and they say no. yeah yeah there was no hailstorm, my friend anyway so i i got you if you don't mind any one more uh use case you want to talk about There's use cases. There's a couple. We can talk about something that uh, we have uh, research and development in, or something that we actually have, you know, a product that's ready to go. Your choice. Mm. What do you think is more important to the listeners? What will they find more interesting? Do you have uh, more financial listeners or more of like uh, agricultural listeners? Probably more financial based listeners, right? Probably, but uh, like I say, I got a buddy that's uh, so now you gave me both. I'm, I'm 50 50 on this one, but go financial. He's gonna be mad at me now, but go financial. <laughs> okay, perfect. So, something that we're uh, actually looking a lot into and have a significant research and development effort into is the stock market analysis. So, uh, I'm a terrible investor, I don't handle emotion very well, but we built some AI models that actually can buy and sell rather well and kind of handle the volatility in the market. But one thing that is particularly interesting that is a different angle than other companies are taking is we actually look at uh, social media sentiment. So we analyze tweets about a company, we analyze news articles about a company, we analyze Reddit forms about a company and actually use those, those analytics to make decisions on how to trade a stock in the near term and in the long term. Social media acts kind of like a pulse on the market. It's more real time, so you can be more precise about short-term trades. And uh, news articles, you know, they aren't really viewed in real time. People usually view them after work or they kind of make uh, maybe shorter, longer-term decisions based off of, of news articles that come about a stock. So we look at those and kind of influence long-term decisions. But the results are actually quite remarkable in that regard, in that uh, sentiment and social media and being able to look at that actually does a is there's a high correlation in the way the stock market behaves do you mean to tell me you predicted gamestop no i wish <laughs> but some of the data that we have when we're coming reddit show a giant spike in one way or the other in sentiment and so it's crazy like you can look at it in retrospect and see that okay yeah i mean if you would have acted in a certain regard you might have been able to actually capitalize on the gamestop and uh amc craze that was you know happens every other week now but it's, it's quite remarkable 
Cornell, uh, I don't know if you know this, but retrospect is no good in the stock market. We need go forward. We need future predictions, man. <laughs> right. No, I, I definitely agree. And, and part of the thing is being able to take emotion out of that, right? Because uh, especially we don't touch cryptos, but because cryptos are too much of an emotional roller coaster to begin with, but we eventually hopefully will. But being able to take emotion out of it and, you know, being able to license your algorithm out and say, hey, uh, you, you know, buy and trade my stocks and according to this way. And we want to uh, we want to allow you to look at Twitter sentiment and Reddit sentiment. And uh, but we don't want you to look at the news, kind of being able to check off those boxes on what you want the algorithm to look at and see how your portfolio performs is something that's a particular interest to us and that we have active development on. Well, I, like, I couldn't agree with you more. It's emotion. That's why I say, you know, Jed had me when he said, people don't do what they say they're going to do. And it's because of emotion. Nobody's uh, outside of that. I mean, even myself, I, I try to do some investing, but I've been on both sides of the market. When the market's going down drastically, when you should be buying, you know, so you buy low and sell high. Mm-hmm. When everybody's going down, the sky is falling and, you know, it's it's hard not to get pulled into that and say, oh, I'm not investing right now. The world's terrible. You know, and right. it's, it's opposite. And that's, you know, I, I'm with you on uh, uh, crypto, though I got some folks that, uh, some buddies that are, are all in on that. What's crazy is that, like, you know, any, there's all these things you can look at and what people claim they predict the stock market and you should never believe them because it's it's really, really hard. But all you need to do is provide an algorithm that provides a good classification 51% of the time. You just need slightly better than half and you can make money, which sounds crazy, but that's you need like 51% accuracy and you can actually make money. So that sets the bar on the threshold for where you really need to position your algorithms a lot lower and makes the problem maybe a little less daunting to tackle but you know ask me again in a few months when we're later down development on this and we'll see if i eat my words well here, here's what i want i'll give you free marketing today what i need you to do is call me immediately when the next amc the next game shop is about to happen so i can get in very quickly <laughs> we'll do that i'll uh I'll, I'll make sure to let you know as long as you give us you know one percent of royalties but hey, that one percent is perfectly fair uh, I'm joking. What technologies are behind Seeker? I mean, are you doing all this from uh, uh, scratch? Are you driving, you know, building Juniper notebooks and, and writing in Python? Or do you have fundamental building blocks you're taking to, to help create some of the 12 products that you talked about? In regards to what we're doing, so it's, it's for our technology Definitely not Jupyter Notebooks. We, we've built the platform to, we have a lot of these efforts to try to build out uh, a, a data set and to build out a platform that can be interfaced in multiple programming languages. So, you know, it's easy to go online and download, you know, write 10 lines of code in a Jupyter Notebook and you have a neural network that can classify handwritten digits through the MNIST uh, data set, right? But uh, ours, we have a, a lot more sophistication than that in that uh, we actually take things down to, you know, a C++ level and enable our AI models to be called in multiple programming languages, but we're also building them from scratch. So to get technical for a moment, Keras and TensorFlow are APIs that you use to build neural networks. Uh, We don't even use those at times where we're actually building our activation functions from scratch, our entire neural network architecture from scratch in order to make them run you know, more intimately with processors uh, at, at more of an embedded level. So uh, our whole platform is designed to be interfaced with in multiple languages. And we, we have an effort right now where we will be able to actually license the platform out for different uh, data medium recognition. So if you want image recognition, object detection, sound classification, 
uh, we'll, you'll be able to log in on the secret website and, and be able to license our API with our servers and, you know, training time and everything. And we'll actually output the code with the neural network in it or the AI model uh, that you can download and is ready to go. And you can select Java or C++ or Python or whatever it is. And, you know, you have an entire code package with your neural network that is ready to drop in. And it's not just the model, it's a way to call it. And it's an entire, you know, actual package. And there are some other companies that are doing this, so it might not sound so sophisticated, but what makes it, you know, what separates us from the competition is that we're actually building these explainability tools into it, you know, how the model arose its classifications and, you know, how it's actually behaving over time. Additionally, our models are dynamic, so they adapt. So if you have, uh, for Seekers platform, if we have an image recognition model that's trained on and classifying apples, pears, and grapes, uh, it's you know really good at identifying those three things, and then you deploy it, and then it sees cherries. Well, it doesn't; it's never seen cherries before, so it's not going to recognize it. But our models account for that and actually increase, uh, and they adapt. So it, it actually learn to classify different objects and you know expand its capability and neuroplastic in a way. You know that's part of this whole platform. We have you know these customers that have eight, uh, contracted us out to build aspects of this platform that kind of feed into this very, you know, this top level platform that we license out to everyone else. It sounds like you need to be a professor. Have you ever thought about being a professor? Oh, I have. Uh, I don't know if my graduate professors would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> you must be a kind of student. You must be a good student. I was a good student. I got good grades. I just, I, I'm very interested in practical applications over theory. And so when I would argue with professors at times when I say, well, this, you know, how, this doesn't really apply in the real world. You're kind of violating physics or you're violating, you know, whatever to really make a product work. You should, you should consider it in this scenario and they go, you know, then that obviously you don't ever want to tell a professor they're wrong because yeah. you just dig yourself a hole. But I hope you did that after class was over because yeah, they don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You make sure to send a, a, a long email afterwards after your grade submitted. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I've got some of those same, uh, after I see the, uh, of course, you would never be in this position, but after I see the grade that I've had to go talk to uh, the professor and talk them out of that grade. By the way, it did work. I want to tell you that they, they raised my grade, but uh, it was a, as a result of some of the what you're describing there. Anyway, um, just to end, I love it. <laughs> I'll have a little fun. So where do you think AI is going? I mean, you're going all in. You're going into machine learning. But I guess two part question. How do you, I mean, look. And maybe you don't have another definition, but how do you define AI? Uh, where do you think it's going in its relevance in the next five years? What's, what's your guess? What's your thought? So I define AI a little bit differently than I think some other people do. Uh, AI is kind of a buzzword right now, and a lot of people see software and they just attribute AI. But uh, to me, AI is this you know beautiful blend of mathematics, statistics, computer science and physics that uh, recently has gotten a lot of attention due to the proliferate access in uh, com computational power. And it's, you know, we've got, every, like I said, everyone's got these really high computational devices in their pocket um, that is capable of performing a lot of, you know, these uh, a crazy amount of tasks, particularly in AI. And people are showing today that they're pretty amenable to technology and they're willing to learn and adapt and, I think that if we can try to change the sentiment on how AI is perceived in some walks of life, that's, that's going to garner a lot more acceptance. People have, uh, at least some people I've talked to, 
have a, a very troubling view of AI in that they see Terminator and iRobot. But, you know, they, we've got to try to convince them that that's not really what, what AI is now and what we're developing. It's, you know, we're actually trying to augment human capabilities and everything. I think AI in augmented reality, for that matter as well, is at a point that today that's very similar to the state of the internet in the 1990s in that it's in its infancy. There's a lot that still hasn't been figured out. There's a lot of potential in a lot of different realms, and we're really just at the tip of the iceberg in it. And that creates a unique opportunity for smaller players to enter the market and actually you know, position its direction and, and kind of influence the way that the development of artificial intelligence in general was taken. I do have uh, a bit of concern, you know, later down the road, there's a lot of people that think about the existential crisis uh, that AI might, uh, might pose later on. Uh, you know, Elon Musk whole spiel on AI, you know, could be and humanity and everything. Yeah. I guess I sympathize with that in some regard, but I don't think it's, uh, it, it's definitely not the case in the near future. I think that it won't really necessarily take a personified form of Terminator or iRobot. It could be something like a stock market bot that decides to liquidate everyone's accounts and put it into a rogue stock market account and everyone wakes up the next morning with no money in their bank. Or uh, some an AI hacks all of the Teslas and decides to drive them off the East Coast. You know, it's like those would, those would be pretty severe scenarios that maybe aren't too far in the future uh, if you know there's a really bad player that develops some that has really bad intentions to develop rogue ai so if we can try to incorporate these proof of ethics these proof of explainability into artificial intelligence models um, i think that would be a, a good direction that artificial intelligence really isn't seeing right now um, but i think it's headed in that direction and i'm i'm optimistic at least uh, i get you on the existential threat However, uh, I do. Don't you think that we are going to have a few hiccups, like a couple of the ones you mentioned? I mean, those got to be in the future, right? Yes, absolutely. I think that those hiccups are going to happen before Terminator happens, right? Like we're going to see some severe scenario, and we already see it in some degree with the uh, disparity in how facial recognition systems behave. A misclassification in those systems really impact people's lives if they're wrongly convicted of something or if they wrongly, uh, you know, make uh, they have a misclassification. So I think, you know, we're seeing mishaps in that regard and we're going to see things in a less personified form before they actually take form of, you know, Terminator and iRobot and things like that. I definitely agree with you. Well, what, like not to overuse, utilize another financial example. Many years ago, I feel like it's already hit me. In that uh, I had, at the time, I, I had a stock. It will remain nameless, I guess. But I had a stock. was doing really good in the stock. And I had a, I, mean, I had an exit, right? And uh, let's just say that at 100 now, I had an out at 90. And I bought it for 70. So, I mean, look, I'm going to make money. No problem. And then we had a downturn in the market one day. When I say this, this is a true story. One day. And what happened was the robots took over. Essentially, the stock went to, let's say, about 100 to 40. And by the time my order could be executed, it was like at 40. And then, oh, no. <laughs> then the robots, you know, were done. Everybody corrected it. And it was back at like 80. So that was that, was that that flash crash? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I, I heard about that. Um, and I actually analyzed the hell out of that to some extent too, because that was 
almost entirely brought upon them by the automated trading bots. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so it's a perfect example of automated bots to, to your point that, I mean, look, I, I never, I just lost in that deal because I, I you know, I'm not a big in, uh, financial uh, investor. So, you know, I could, there was really nothing, I, you know, I tried to do something and really nothing could come about it. But anyway, it's a perfect example of being hurt by automation and with no no ill intention, just the bots took over and it kept going down, down, down. You know, it kept trigger, trigger, trigger. And then all of a sudden I sell at 40. So anyway, I've changed the way I do uh, stop orders. So stop loss. Anyway. Yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, uh, hu- AI can't, it's replicating a lot of human functions now, but there are some aspects where it's just, you know, it might not ever replicate humans entirely. Um, you know, when you get into talks about consciousness and stuff, but, uh, you know, in, in those regards, it really did not behave as a human would and really, you know, sacrifice or really, uh, hurt a lot of people. So just a couple more questions, if you would, I, I want to ask you some leadership questions. You just started this company. You got a partner, I, I, I presume you both started it or you got multiple more than two. Uh, yes, no, we, uh, I have a co-founder. I mean, we have, we have employees, but, uh, I have a co-founder who I started with his name is Zach Newman. What's your philosophy on leadership? Do you have a philosophy? It's important to seek negative feedback. Sometimes that's very, very hard because, you know, no one wants their egos hurt and it's, it's difficult to kind of take it on the chin and, and have your work criticized, but constantly seeking negative feedback, both for, you know, on your products for development and as a leader, uh, as an employee in general, I think is good because it allows you to reposition your sales in the right direction. And it's a lot harder to chart off course for years because you were too prideful to seek negative feedback than it is to receive uh, that feedback earlier and readjust. So I've tried to be particularly very amenable to negative feedback and constantly seek it. And uh, another thing is, and it it could be just with the team that we have now, but uh, another thing that I've noticed that wasn't didn't, wouldn't have originally occurred to me is that uh, people seem to thrive when you give them responsibility and trust, right? So I'm a control freak by nature, especially when it comes to engineering and, and code. But being able to seeing some of our employees really thrive when you give them ownership of a product and you get out of their way and let them do what they do best, they end up doing it better than you can do. And that's been, you know, pretty eye-opening for me. It's just like, well, let me get out of my own way and help let them do their job. And, uh, you know, they're actually going to end up doing a better job than if I was there <laughs> trying to critique. Uh, so that's, uh, another thing that I think is critical for, you know, being a leader is being able to trust the people that you have hired and the people that you are, are engaged with to do the job that they're specialized in. Another thing that, uh, uh, that I think is is quite important to have as a leader is to, especially as a startup, is to be kind of obsessive about the vision. In order to achieve escape velocity for a startup and really, you know, get to a, a point where you have active funding and you have products that are actually generating revenue, I think that you have to be uh, obsessive and, and almost live, sleep and breathe the, you know, your vision and try to realize it. Maybe not all the way and all the time, but at least to start out and that's not really embedded in everybody, but uh, I, I think it is critical. The the fourth thing I think that, uh, and I've, I've, I've struggled with this as well, is actually trying to maintain hobbies or at least one hobby to try to like give your consciousness a, a, a little bit of a break. I think half of our product development insights have come from people in actually working or pursuing their hobbies because they see things from a different angle or they go, hey, maybe we could use I in this regard 
there's not really any players in this market. And I was out doing this hobby one day. And uh, so really kind of employing that work-life balance is pretty critical. I got it. What's your hobby? Uh, so right now, my hobby is jujitsu. So I try oh. to actively pursue jujitsu and it's taught me, you know, being calm and being more surgical about your decisions you make uh, is, is critical, you know, not only in jujitsu, but also in, you know, engineering and kind of leading a engineering team as well. So tell me, Cordell, you talk about work-life balance. Now, be honest with me. How many hours are you working today? Oh, next question. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, it depends. There's, I've been better lately, but usually I can sign my name to an honest 16 hours, uh, during the day. And, you know, whether it's maybe that's not actually writing, you know, or, you know, writing emails or writing code or whatever, but it's researching or helping, um, other, you know, engineers or, or whatever, but, uh, we have a lot of irons in the fire and I'd say it, there's there's a multiple there's a lot of days where we put in on a 16 hours worth of work in. What, and, what are you essentially? Are you the CTO? Are you more the CEO? Or are you? Uh, I mean, when it really comes down to it, it's what I'm saying. I guess I'm a little bit of both. I'm the CEO uh, by title, but uh, I also am heavily involved with engineering, and I actually write I work side alongside the uh, software developers to actually write a lot of the code too. So, and I think that's important as well because, like, it helps me explain. Yeah, at a technical level, I, I, I can alter between being technical and being more, less technical with customers and kind of being able to dive in the level, to the level of granularity they need to understand the product, right? Because uh, you kind of, you can really understand the direction of the company and understand the vision of where it's going, but understand the technical limitations of what you may or may not be trying to accomplish. For a tech company, I think it's pretty important for the CEO to be somewhat technical and at least understand the product at a pretty finite engineering level, maybe not critical, but it's, it's very advantageous at least. Are you going to be able to give that up when the time comes? I mean, not the old technical. I don't know that you'd ever have to give up some of that, but in terms of the coding and the day to day from that perspective, I got to believe there's a time in the future you're going to do, you'd be ultra successful. They're going to need you as CEO and not as coder developer. My co-founder and I have actually talked about that quite a bit and hope we, that day might be coming soon, especially with us uh, raising our series a, uh, this summer, you know, that, that day might be soon when we can hire, uh, more of a, a larger team in order to facilitate the demand that we have from customers. And that'll be hard. You know, I'll always be, I think an engineer and a, and a coder by heart and, and trade, but it's, uh, ultimately it'll allow me to kind of hand the baton off to people who are more capable and more, uh, more prepared than I am to, to develop seeker and, and all of its products. It was very tough for me. I have to tell you, still tough for me. Really? <laughs> well, yeah, just because that's what you do. You can see work every day. It's like building. That's why my, one of my hobbies, I got a couple of them, but one of them is to work around the house. And not that I need to be doing the work around my, the house, as my wife would say. She'd say, look, we can hire that done. You know, I like to see things being built and, you know, know that I created it. And when you stop doing that, you know, there's always, a, especially I've come, I'm an engineer too. To me, it's like... Uh, you know, it leaves something to be desired, but you, you've got to find your, you know, your value in another manner. Hey, um, where can folks reach you? Find out more about you in the business. Uh, so you can go to our website at the secrettech.com and um, I'm on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can find me. Uh, it's a Cordell K France, I think on both. So um, yeah, you can contact me either way. Send me an email. Cordell at secrettech.com uh, if you, you know, just for a free consultation or even to just 
uh, run a product idea, learn more about our technology. Uh, I love to talk about it. And uh, we, you know, we'd love to hear from some of the problems that are out there in the world that we could have potentially help address and more opportunities to uh, give people access to our product, especially if uh, there's any investment interest as well. <laughs> Look, uh, I've really enjoyed it. And this has been fun. Uh, great discussion. Uh, we could go on for probably forever. I don't, and so that's the sign of a, of a good podcast. So, so thank you for being here, Cordell. Much appreciated. And I wish you the absolute very best. I hope you'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and for a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. And thanks for all you listeners out there. We appreciate it. Uh, like Cordell, he reached out and we were able to make it work. Uh, if you have any topics you'd like to listen to, or if you'd like to be on the podcast, please reach out to almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Until next time, I'll see you on the podcast. Thanks again, Cordell. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, Let's go over and out. Out.